Before we begin today's show, I'd like to say a big thank you to today's sponsor, Kiehl's. As an award-winning skincare brand that was founded in 1851, Kiehl's is scientifically formulated to respect, restore, and strengthen the skin. Kiehl's and I are also on similar missions within the LGBTQ community. I love that the brand has just announced a partnership with Just Like Us, a leading LGBTQ charity that supports young people in the UK by eliminating homophobic, biphobic, and transphobic bullying in schools, which is so incredibly important. Head to keels.co.uk to find out more about this brilliant initiative, as well as their amazing products. I'm your host, Gareth Thomas, and welcome to Skin Deep. So I'm into tattoos, right? Because I love their stories. I love the dual meaning behind the ink and the image. And I love finding out what they mean to other people, especially when the meaning and the reception or how you've perceived as a tattoo haver are often totally contradictory. So today the tattoo I've chosen to talk about is the tattoo that's on my back. And as a proud Welshman and as a proud Celt, I wanted to put a cross on my back. And inside the cross is a Celtic twist, a Celtic band, which I managed to trace back because in Wales, like you have in Scotland, you have a tartan that represents your family name. In Wales, if you look back far enough, you can find some kind of Celtic symbol that represents your family name, that represents Thomas. So for me, I had a cross put on my back and in the centre of the cross, I've had a Celtic symbol put. And for me... It was a very personal moment because it was a time when I was playing rugby and I was travelling all over the world. I was going everywhere, but I, I was such a home bird. I never wanted to really leave Wales. And also, it was at a time when I was at a pivotal moment in my life where I was struggling with my identity. And I felt I was carrying this really heavy cross with me everywhere I went. But I knew I had to carry that cross. So I wanted to put the Celtic symbol in it because I felt whatever I was going to drag this cross to, I was going to make sure I was going to take my family name with me to at least make people proud of me to whatever part of the world I went to play rugby. And also, at the ends of the four points of the cross, they kind of, they pointed. And I felt that I was travelling to, as they call it, the four corners of the world with this heavy cross, carrying this heavy burden but represented my family. And that's why I have the cross on my back. And that's what the Celtic symbol inside the cross means. But today, I'm interested in tattoos with a different double meaning. Medical tattoos. Medical tattoos are simply a tattoo that serves a dual purpose. One for medical reasons and one for cosmetic reasons. They can be eyebrows, lip linings or lip tattoos, hair and microblading but they can mean so, so much more. I've been doing this for 21 years, but I do, I certainly do prefer the cosmetic tattooing. So whether I'm doing areolas on a cancer patient or, you know, eyebrows or eyeliner, you know, like, and and that may sound frivolous to the listeners, but imagine being so blind that you can't apply makeup without your glasses. Well, it's hard to put on eyeliner through your glasses. 
or women who have Parkinson's and they shake too much to draw their eyebrows on. There are women and men with alopecia who don't have any hair and I'm able to give them the appearance of hair. And so even those cosmetic services are certainly rewarding and I'm just really blessed to be able to do the work that I love. That was Beth Fairchild, our guest this week. Beth is a tattoo artist, breast cancer activist, an expert in the art of 3D areola tattooing for women and men who have undergone mastectomies and breast reconstruction surgery. Beth was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer in her 30s and has used her own diagnosis and her family history of the disease. Her mother was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer and her grandmother died from breast cancer, along with her experience in the tattooing industry to both educate and advocate for those with the same diagnosis. Her voice, strength and activism are powerful and resonate so, so much with me. As a person, she's nothing short of inspirational and she's absolutely covered in tattoos. When you meet her, one of the first things you see is her Ganesh tattoo on her neck. It's big, bold and beautiful. And the first thing we spoke about actually, so I'll let her do the talking. Welcome to Skin Deep. Right, okay. Well, I, I kind of just want to get really into this with you, Beth, straight from the off, because I know in the, a lot of research we've been doing about tattooing for skin deep, there's like this saying that it says that if you show me a person with tattoos, then I'll show you a person with an interesting past. And I think for the viewers who can't actually visually see you, which I'm blessed that I can, I'm drawn straight away to your body art. And the fact that it's outstandingly beautiful. So I think for the listeners of Skin Deep, maybe if we just want to, if we have time, because it's not going and it's not going to fill up the whole of the of the podcast, like talk us through the artwork that you kind of you have on your body. Yeah. So I I started getting tattooed when I was eighteen, nineteen years old. I was always drawn to tattooing. I remember my uncle had been in the Navy and he had a tattoo on his forearm and I just fell in love with it when I was a kid. And I just always knew that I wanted to be tattooed. I love the little temporary tattoos that you got as a kid. And so I started getting tattooed and now I'm pretty covered. I have my left thigh free and my belly free and that's it. Everything else is pretty covered. So, you know, I've got a little anchor on my face. That's from my grandfather who was in the Navy I've got a little ohm and a mandala on my right ear. I've got Ganesh on my throat. He's a Hindu god. He's the remover of obstacles. And I got it right after my cancer diagnosis. So I wanted to see that and think about that every day. Um, okay, so if we, if we talk about the Ganesh then on your throat, because I think straight away when you see you, it's visually quite imposing. It's there. It's kind of, a, as I would say, it's a statement. Yeah. So when you say it's a statement to do with your cancer diagnosis, if you can take us maybe through the diagnosis. So right at the start, before the tattoo, say the day that you woke up in the morning, finding, finding out, how was you feeling like on that day waking up? So the day that I found out I had cancer was awful. I had just had a surgery. I had a hysterectomy. They cut me from my belly button to my pubis. And I woke up from that surgery and they told me that I had breast cancer in my reproductive organs. And I knew that was bad. It meant that it was stage four. 
The doctors were explaining that it was uh, treatable, but not curable, and that I had two years to live. And, you know, it was um, a devastating time. I felt horrible. The surgery almost killed me. I had to have blood transfusions. I was unable to walk. I was in a wheelchair. I was emaciated, you know, just the worst day of my life. And as I got stronger and and started to come back from that, I had to do chemotherapy. I did it every week for six months. And I kept telling myself that I was not going to get tattooed because I've had enough pain. I would, you know, I've had enough pain. I don't want to get any more tattoos. But then after I started to get stronger and realizing, you know, like I have this terminal illness, but it's not today. And I would say that every day I would wake up and say, it's not today. You know, that day is not today. So as I got stronger, I was like, you know, I want to I wanna get tattooed and I want to put Ganesh on my throat. I'd always been really into yoga. Yoga was one of the things that saved me. It helped bring me back from the brink physically and spiritually. And so I'd always been drawn to the Ganesh and I decided to just put it right here on my throat. And it wasn't for other people. It was for me. So that when I looked in the mirror every day that I remembered that this is, you know, the remover of obstacles. And that was kind of my mantra for a long time. And of course, at the time, it's a really big, bold, black tattoo. And I thought, I only have two years to live. Like, what difference does it make if I tattoo my neck, you know, but here I am almost seven years later. And I'm still carrying this Ganesh around and I love it. I have no regrets, but it's definitely what people see when they first see me. So was it a case of a a connection of a spirituality, but also maybe a realm of kind of a recklessness in thinking that, well, if I have two years left to live, maybe as, as people who love tattoos, sometimes we get concerned about what other people would think. Maybe when we get older or, you know, as we get more mature, are people going to be concerned? So was that kind of a thought process and the fact that, okay, I've been told I have two years to live. It doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant. Definitely. You know, I think that for the first couple of years, I lived pretty hard and pretty fast and threw caution to the wind. I like to think that I'm one of those people that doesn't care what other people think, but we all do to some extent. And, you know, being tattooed and being working in the tattoo industry, I was able to get away with a little more than most people are. But to your point, you know, it is is a very bold statement to walk around with this big tattoo on my neck. So it it was a little bit of that. You know, I I was just at a point in my life where I was able to let go of of really any vanity. You know, I was bald. I had had my breast removed. I was just a sliver of the woman that I had been before. And so I, you know, let go of ego. I let go of all of that stuff. And I really just lived my life for me and Mm -hmm. lived my life very in the moment. And, you know, the cancer diagnosis definitely shifted my entire perspective. So I didn't, you know, I got this, as I said, for me, it wasn't, you know, how other people would look at it or perceive it. But it was every, every bit of it was just for me as a reminder. Yeah, so you you mentioned there that you had your breasts removed, both breasts. And how long... After the diagnosis, did you have to go through that process? It was actually about two years after my metastatic diagnosis. Here in the States, it's not a common place to remove a woman's breast when they're diagnosed with metastatic disease. So I had to advocate to have them removed. I didn't want to look at them anymore. They were a reminder that my body had betrayed me. And for me, I didn't sexualize them anymore. 
because of that betrayal. And so I just wanted them gone. And I had to actually shop for a surgeon and really advocate to have my breast removed. And finally, I met with a surgeon and a tumor board who understood what I was going through. And I was able to get that surgery. When you say metastatic, what exactly do you mean by metastatic? I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if our listeners are aware of that term. Yeah. So metastatic is any cancer that has spread beyond its original point. So lung cancer can be metastatic when it spreads beyond the lung or liver cancer. So breast cancer is cancer, breast cancer that's growing in your body outside of the breast. So my cancer never presented with a breast tumor and it spread to my reproductive organs. As I said, when I had my hysterectomy, two places on my liver and it's in every single bone in my body and metastatic breast cancer is a terminal cancer. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. So back to me. Um, And I'm actually doing a project at the moment where they have women raising awareness of breast cancer and men raising awareness of testicular cancer. And it's, it's quite relevant to mention, I think, that breast cancer is not just a form of cancer that attacks women. Right. Yeah, men can and do get breast cancer for sure. It's not something that a lot of men want to talk about because it's, you know, really identified as a female cancer. But men have breasts and they have breast tissue and therefore can get breast cancer. It's only about 1% of the breast cancer population. But Mm. it's definitely something that we should be talking about. You know, it's not chest cancer or pectoral cancer. It is breast cancer. And I think it's really important to talk about that because oftentimes it's missed in men. You know, Mm. they dismiss it. So then they're diagnosed at late stage metastatic, like I was diagnosed, and they're then incurable at that point. So I think for that very reason, it's important that we do discuss breast cancer in men so that it's at the forefront of their mind. You know, like maybe it doesn't affect you, but, you know, your spouse or your children or your nieces and nephews, right? So this is stuff that we should talking about openly so that all of the men and women in our life are aware of their breast health. Yeah, that's one reason kind of why I wanted to bring it up. So I think listeners like myself and like the majority of people through whether it be through ignorance or just through it being stereotypically associated with women, we don't associate it with men. Because one of the videos I saw of you, I found interesting, is you lived on both sides of the tattoo gun. So you you started tattooing, but you started replacing people's areolas through the art of tattooing. And one thing I found really interesting is, am I right in saying that you was actually working on people who had suffered breast cancer whilst you were going through your breast cancer diagnosis, but you didn't actually reveal this to any of the people that you were talking about. Because I think for me, personally, my tattooist is kind of like my therapist as well. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I am Lord of my tattooist. So surely, surely the people going through, you know, such a such an important process must unload on you. So how do, how do you take it when you're going through this cancer cancer diagnosis and people are telling you that they're going through it? Is that difficult for you to be able to kind of take everything they throw in you on board when you're dealing with your own demons? I don't think so. You know, for me, it was therapeutic to help other people. That's how I kind of refill my cup is to be in service of other people. And I love that I was able to, you know, leave chemo and go to work 
and help someone else feel really great about themselves and help them have this change. It's like, it's an insignificant thing, but to them, it's life changing to look in the mirror and see an areola. And it was just therapeutic for me. And I, I liked being able to go to work and talk to them um, about their cancer and their journey and all of their experiences. And it wasn't about me. And I, I think like one of the things, right, is I had this cancer diagnosis and then all of a sudden everyone started treating me differently. Now I was Beth with cancer and everybody treated me with kid gloves, but my clients didn't know that I had cancer. I was just a regular tattoo person. And yeah. um, it was just like for that hour that I spent with them, it was normal, you know, like normal in quotation marks, right? Like I could just have a conversation that wasn't about me being sick. So I, I really rather preferred not to share it with a lot of people. And you're quite open about it now, social media and everything. So people are going to know. How is it different now that people know when you're helping people or tattooing people now? Well, I think that because I've experienced cancer diagnosis, I've experienced chemo, I had my breast removed, I've since had my breast reconstructed, I kind of know and relate to all of the gamuts, right, of cancer. And so now I know all of the questions to ask. I know, you know, what they've experienced and I'm able to relate to my clients on a level that most tattoo artists, you know, there's plenty of people who can do areola tattooing, but not all of them have had cancer or lost their breasts. And so it's just really being able to relate to them on a completely different level. Do you find there's a difference when you're on the other side of the tattoo gun, as in giving the tattoo, that when the tattoo is of cosmetic rather than maybe for a, a different purpose or a different reason, maybe a fashion purpose? How do you feel when you're tattooing somebody cosmetically and then some somebody you tattoo an areola and then somebody comes in after and just wants a, a portrait? How, how do you feel as a tattooist doing those two different things? Because it's, it's kind of, you know, it's light and shade. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you got to pay the bills, right? So (laughs) there's certainly certainly things that I like to do that I prefer to do that kind of feeds me. And then there's stuff that I do because I, you know, I'm an artist and I provide a service for people. I've been doing this for 21 years. So I am at that point in my career where I can pick and choose the things that I want to do. I'm really blessed to be in that position But I do, I certainly do prefer the cosmetic tattooing. So whether I'm doing areolas on a cancer patient or, you know, eyebrows or eyeliner, you know, like, and and that may sound frivolous to the listeners, but imagine being so blind that you can't apply makeup without your glasses. Well, it's hard to put on eyeliner through your glasses or women who have Parkinson's and they shake too much to draw their eyebrows on. There are women and men with alopecia who don't have any hair, and I'm able to give them the appearance of hair. And so even those cosmetic services are certainly rewarding. And I'm just really blessed to be able to do the work that I love. Do you see a different reaction to people when you unveil a cosmetic tattoo, as opposed to unveiling other type of tattoo? Because I, I watched actually a video of you tattooing an areola on a man. And his reaction it was literally, I, I, I don't know, it was kind of, it was life. It, I wouldn't say it was life-changing. It was life-affirming for him. It was all of a sudden you gave him back an identity that he felt he'd lost. 
Now, I've had many tattoos in my life that, that mean a lot to me, but never, I don't think, has it ever been that deep. And I wonder, as a tattoo artist, like the difference it feels to see that compared to another, another tattoo. Yeah, the, the general reaction is, you know, they get up and they look in the mirror and they see their areolas that have probably not been there in years and they start crying. You know, like that affirmation that that part of the journey is complete. They're restored not to what they were before, but as close as I can possibly make it. Mm. And it's really almost like a, it's almost like a spiritual experience to, to be there and witness that and to know that you're a part of it. You know, I mean, every time that person looks in the mirror from now until the rest of their life, they're going to think about that experience that they had, right? In my yeah, chat yeah, yeah. with me, the stories that we shared, the the compassion and empathy that we shared for one another's experiences. And it really is as life-changing for me as I think it is for them. Wow. Do you get many, I'll say women coming in who've lost a breast, maybe not to replace it with a areola tattoo or, or give them some kind of... Thing like that, but to maybe put something there of, of a reminder as in a tattoo, something that takes control of that area that maybe they've lost control of, kind of like replace that breast with something that they want to identify as a source of strength. Because it's interesting you talk about when you removed your breasts, you wanted to get rid of them. They meant nothing to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you get many people coming in, or even yourself, for instance, have you replaced your breasts with, with tattoos? That gives you a well, sense of strength. So I, ha- I had my chest tattooed before. My surgeon was really great to not interrupt my tattoos. He made my scars kind of semicircular and laid my tattoos flat. He did an amazing job. And then through my reconstruction, we've stretched that skin out. So now the breasts that I have are tattooed. Right. So I think my perspective is a little different because... Um, of the way I presented and not knowing if I had a tumor in my breast and really wanting my breast removed. A lot of women don't have that option, right? They are just, you have to have a mastectomy. And so most women lose their breast and it's not their choice. And so it is a bit different perspective, but for women who choose not to reconstruct or who choose to remain flat or they can't reconstruct for whatever reason, a lot of them do have a tattoo over their scar. And as you say, something that is meaningful to them or motivational or something where they can draw strength from and they'll tattoo over the area or, or use it to cover the scars that they're left with. So you're replacing kind of a, a gnarly looking scar with a beautiful piece of art. And that's, you know, certainly an option for women who are flat or for women who reconstruct. I've done a lot of flowers and and birds and butterflies on top of breast scars. And it's it's certainly personal preference. Yeah. So your life then, since your diagnosis and you was given two years to live and thankfully you're you're still here six, seven years later In, in that space. Could you kind of describe what life is like? from knowing that to outliving what the doctors said, because sometimes we take things for granted. A lot of people say we take things for granted. Do you find like every day is is a blessing? And, you know, I know, for instance, that you found your husband in the space of time 
after you found out your diagnosis with cancer? Do you find just do you find you live life completely different to a lot of other people who haven't had diagnosis? Yeah, you know, we as humans, right, we all want the next best thing. So we we do well in high school so that we can get into the good colleges and we want to go to the best colleges so we can get the good job and then we can buy the the nice car and then we get the bigger house and then you know we're planning for retirement so we can do all these things and it's always like our focus is always on the next the next thing like we're working towards this end goal at the end of our life and the reality is, is we are not promised that we are not promised a retirement or the golden years. You know, we are only promised this day that is right in front of us this moment, because tomorrow may not come. And my diagnosis certainly shifted that perspective for me. Like I said, I, I let go of like ego and vanity. And I let go of a lot of the materialistic things. You know, I had five tattoo shops, I lived in a big home, I had a pool, I lived at the beach. I drove a really nice car and had, you know, a closet full of really great handbags and jewelry. And none of that really meant anything to me after my diagnosis. What I wanted in life was experiences and I wanted them with good, solid people. I realized that I was unhappy in my marriage and I left a 10-year marriage. I mean, so imagine like I'm 36 years old and I have a terminal cancer and I have no way to make a living for myself at the time. And I was like, you know what, this is not what I want. I would rather be poor than to live another day in this marriage that doesn't serve me well. Like it just, it, nothing was wrong. He was a great person. It just wasn't what I wanted out of life. And so I moved into my childhood home. I threw myself into fixing it up and repairing it. I was actually at a fundraiser and sharing my story about having metastatic terminal cancer. I was being photographed without my shirt on, you know, my completely breastless body. And I met the love of my life. And, you know, had I not just kind of thrown caution to the wind and decided, you know, like I'm on this time limit and I have a very limited life in front of me, I need to live it on my terms. And if I hadn't have, if I hadn't have adopted that mindset, my life would probably still be very stagnant and unfulfilled. But now, you know, it is like I sit in traffic sometimes and I, you know, I see people getting angry or blowing the horn and I'm like, what a gift it is to like drive a car and sit in traffic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think I do have a different perspective and I have to admit, you know, I do get complacent sometimes and I'll, I'll find myself nitpicking over certain things, but in the grand scheme of things, every day that I get to wake up and put my feet on the floor is a gift. And yeah. um, it's unfortunate that it took a cancer diagnosis for me to slow down and pay attention to that. But I wish that everyone, you know, could heed my advice and just, really soak in every second of every day because it's all you're promised you know you're you're not guaranteed those those golden years yeah i think it's really interesting because i think like we have kind of things going on i feel that are really similar because for me i feel what you're saying there i always say to people whether it's right or whether it's wrong it's, it's, it's kind of how i feel is you only really know how to live when you feel like you're gonna die it's, mm -hmm. you assume living is just something that is just going to happen. But when you're faced with a moment of potentially life being taken away from you, all of a sudden it just becomes so much more 
so much more precious. And I know for me, when you talk about diagnosis, I had a, a HIV diagnosis. And at that moment, I was unaware, you know, they didn't say to me it was terminal, but everything I thought I knew was going to be that, you know, I'm going to die. And obviously living in the fear of dying, I actually realized how beautiful life was, how amazing it could actually be. But you've got to face that horrible moment to realize that. And I actually marked my body with a tattoo that to me, it is my accomplishment of understanding what life is through death. So on my knee, I don't know if you can see this. I'm going to show you anyway. But on my knee, it's, a, it's basically it's a skull. Okay, I had a skull on my knee, which symbolizes the and the the knowledge that I thought I was going to die. So to me, the skull is is my you know my flesh should be taken away. I have a skull left, and underneath the skull, I have wings, which is the understanding then that actually no, you know, I'm going to fly away from this skull and I'm going to live. But what I had then on top of the skull, I had a crown because through speaking about my. HIV diagnosis. I don't know if you know of um, the Queen's Honours list. So we have the royal family, obviously, in the UK. And what they do uh, on the Queen's birthday, she recognises people. And you get um, a thing called an OB, which is an honorary British Empire, member of the British Empire, um, a commander of the British Empire, or, or you'd be given a sir. And I was given the commander of the British Empire for speaking about my diagnosis. So I put a crown on it because I felt like I'd been recognised by the royalty with, with within my life and, and I keep looking at your the Ganesh on your neck because I always wanted that on my neck because I wanted it to be the first thing that people see because it was the one thing that I feared and the one thing that I hated but now it's the one thing I'm really happy for people to be able to find me by because I've grown over it I've grown through it I've grown right. strength through it so when I look at uh, moving on from like me, because I can talk about my tattoos forever too. When I look at the rest of your tattoos around the Ganesh, has how your life has changed? Has any of the meanings of your tattoos changed with it? Well, first I want to say that my stepmother is a 22-year survivor with HIV. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So good on you for sharing your journey with people, because I know it's really inspirational, and I know that it's a scary thing. And Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm super proud of her. Like, she's just doing amazing. Oh, fantastic. You know, my tattoos have changed throughout the years, and not all of them have meaning. You know, as as someone who is a tattooist, you you sit around, and sometimes you're just bored, and somebody's like, hey, let me do this on you. And so not all of my tattoos really have a meaning, but they definitely tell my story. And I can look at them and remember that specific time in my life, you know, where Mm -hmm. I was geographically or mentally. And so I can kind of look at them and it's almost like a diary, right? That I can look at and remember these certain things that happened in my life. I have my my daughter's name. I don't know if you could see it here, Leanne, and then Celeste on this side. I have my grandfather's portrait. Oh, nice. And my grandmother. And they both died of Alzheimer's, but I got these before they passed. And my grandfather didn't know who I was, but he recognized his photo because with dementia, they remember long time ago. They don't remember the more recent events. So Mm. he recognized his photo and he would grab me by my arm and rub his picture, which is just really precious to me. 
For the listeners, just to understand, Beth is now showing me portraits, beautiful portraits of the grandparents on her right forearm, her grandfather on the inside and her grandmother on the outside. Yeah. And so, you know, I certainly have some tattoos that are more meaningful than others and they have evolved over time. And you can just see like just the art has evolved. I mean, in 21 years, you know, the artistry that's available now versus 21 years ago is is so different. So you can tell kind of the more primitive tattoos that I have. I actually have, let's see, I got this prayer. It's a peace prayer that I got by a, a, a Buddhist monk. And it's just a prayer to live peacefully. And he did that, the Tabori style. Right. So just, you know, like certain things that that remind me of experiences that I've had. What what was your first ever one then? What was your first ever tattoo? I have a kanji on my back that says mom. I got it for for my mom. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. So she couldn't have gotten too mad at me because it was for her. For the listeners, kanji is one of three scripts that make up the written Japanese language and is a popular tattoo, especially during the 90s. I I didn't really know how to introduce you because from my research, it just feels like you stand for so much. What, What is it you feel you represent? What does it feel you stand for? When people look at you, what do you think people see? I don't know. I think, unfortunately, people probably are very judgmental about my tattoos when they first look at me, like someone who doesn't know who I am. Yeah. I I think in that way, my tattoos are a little bit of an armor. People have to get to know who I am. And if they're willing to look past the way that I look and get to know me, then I think that they're worthy, they're valuable, If they're just judgmental, that's not someone that I want in my circle. I think that I just stand for, I want to just say love and kindness, because I think above all else, that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, the work that I do is out of love for people. I could certainly be making a ton of money doing something else. I love my job and I love my clients and I love the service that I'm able to give them. I love the experience of sharing our cancer diagnoses together. The advocacy work that I do is, you know, for other people. I will not live long enough to see the end result of the work that I'm doing now, but it will benefit men and women who are diagnosed years after me. And that's all just for love of people and wanting to do good and spread good in this world. Do you think people come to you because you're a survivor? I, d- I don't mean a survivor in the fact that you're, you, you've lived longer or you're living longer than your diagnosis. When I speak to you, you talk to me like a survivor. You talk to me like somebody who is, is living life, is surviving, is fighting, is not giving up. And I think through my personal experience and I think through your personal experience, people find it quite easy to give up. So do you think they gravitate towards you because you have this like survivor spirit about you? Maybe. I don't know. I I certainly don't see myself that way. I am a survivor. I've been through a lot in my life. Cancer is just one of the many things that I've survived. But I do have a fighting spirit. I do have a lot of energy. And I do think that people 
for whatever reason, see and feel and relate to that. And so they are comfortable coming to me. And I'm, you know, really happy that people do feel that way towards yeah. me. Do, yeah. do you think maybe visually, though, people, people either need to approach you about the tattoos or almost look beyond the tattoos? Because I never look at somebody and judge them, whether it be tattoos, whether it be the clothes they wear, the hairstyle they have, anything. Never. I have no... Yeah. I, I have no judgment on, on a visual appearance of somebody. But do you feel like, you know, that that is sometimes a block of people not getting to know the real Beth Fairchild because you wear this armor that you, you, you might have to protect you, but actually is blocking people out from what is an amazing soul? Yeah, for sure. People are judgmental. And, you know, listen, I I realize I chose to look like this. I made every decision to tattoo my body every single time. But, you know, it's the same for people who are racist and they look at a black person and they're like, I don't want to get to know her because you're black or I don't want to get to know you because you're gay or I don't want I don't want to get to know you because you're poor or whatever. It's the same thing when you're tattooed. I think, you know, for whatever reason, there's still a, a stigma Um, behind being heavily tattooed, you know, beyond a little butterfly on your ankle, right? You know, people look at me and assume that I'm a party girl or that I, you know, I'm a drug user or whatever. And it really couldn't be any different. I'm I'm just the girl next door. You know, I was raised by my grandparents who were depression babies and just the salt of the earth people. And that's who I am. And so, as I said before, it is, it is a little bit of an armor because, People have to be willing to look past the way that I look, past my tattoos, and really be invested in getting to know me as a person. Yeah. And if someone is so superficial that they're not willing to do that, I I don't want them in my circle. So it really is is a benefit, I think, <laughs> to me in that way. But I do think that you know, like once people get to know me, so I work in I work in breast cancer research, and I met this Australian researcher we spent a weekend together at a conference and he said to me, he was like, I just want you to know that I think you serve as the best advertisement for tattoos ever because you're so wonderful. (laughs) 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 It was just that moment where like he, he was totally, you know, like, I don't like tattoos. I don't like her look. But then after we got to know each other, we became fast friends. And I, you know, I think that's what it's all about, like getting rid of your bias and getting rid of your preconceived notions of people, whatever they look like, and getting to know them at their core. Yeah, because I, I, I've never really thought about this, but it's really interesting you say that because when you, when you see people with tattoos, it's sometimes very easy to make a judgment. But then what, what you realize is that what people with tattoos have is all of a sudden this conversation starter for people to then get to know you. It's like saying, well, there's an interesting tattoo on your neck. What is it about? And all of a sudden, you can then talk about the reality of who you are, why you're a fighter, why you're a survivor, and why you strive for. I've never kind of thought about the engagement of conversation. I've only ever really thought about the potential of tattoos being something that stops people engaging in conversations, not actually engaged it. But you find with probably being female and being so tattooed, it, it actually filters out people who are interested from people who ain't interested. And you don't want the people who ain't interested in your life anyway. Right, exactly. I mean, I think women are way more catty and judgmental than men. <laughs> so, <laughs> you haven't met my husband then. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
hard to kind of break through that in some groups of women. But even, you know, when I was dating, it's it's really kind of off-putting, I think, to some men that I'm so heavily tattooed. But I also think that is because I'm so independent and so okay with who I am that that's a little intimidating for some people to be around. But I don't know. It, it It's a great filter for me. And, you know, I love the way that I look. I haven't any regrets. People say, oh, don't, you know, don't you regret your tattoos? What are you going to look like when you're 80? Well, I'm probably not going to live till I'm 80. <laughs> if I do, I'm going to be so damn happy. Yeah. I won't even care what I look like, you know? I, you know, it's interesting to say that because people say to me is, you know, when I have a new tattoo or when I somebody asks me about my tattoo, say, what, what about when, you know, what, how are you going to feel when you're you're 80? And, and I'm like, I don't really care how I'm going to feel when I'm 80. I, I, you know, it's not like I'm going to be, you know, strutting down the beach with my top off, worrying about what other people are thinking about me when I'm 80. I don't care about what they think about me now at 46, let alone when I'm bloody 80. Like, I'm really, really not going to care. But again, there's this real misconception of people without tattoos, how they just want to put down people mm-hmm. with tattoos. Do you find do you, do you find that? Yeah, I do. And I it's funny because so I do a lot of cosmetic tattooing and a lot of my clientele are older women with money and they'll come into the shop and and look, you know, like really kind of down their nose. And it's like, I don't, I would never do that. And I'm like, well, I'm literally about to tattoo eyebrows on your forehead. Like, <laughs> what is the difference? <laughs> so the, you know, the irony is not lost on that one, but for sure that, you know, that happens a lot that people do look down on us and like, oh, I would never do that to myself. Well, good. Cause you're probably not worthy of a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So what about, are you attracted to people with tattoos then? I don't mean sexually attracted, but I mean, are you attracted to people with tattoos because you think actually there's somebody who's who's really interested? Or do you just see somebody and say that somebody with a tattoo or somebody without a tattoo, they both look the same to me? Yeah, I mean, I had my sleeve 15, 20 years ago and it was like a thing when I would go out and I had a full sleeve it was a big deal. And now you see tattoos everywhere. You know, I go to the grocery store and see someone with a full sleeve or, you know, at the airport, it's not unusual to see a heavily tattooed person. So I think that's more the norm now, but probably because I see it all the time, I don't, you know, I look at the tattoos, I look at the quality, I look at the composition, I look at the placement, I look, you know, like, <laughs> I'm looking at how it fits their body or what the artist did, you know, like, oh, they went too deep or, oh, they should have done this or, you know, I'm like more critiquing the piece than I am like thinking about the person that's wearing it, which is kind of funny. Yeah. So do you ever, have you ever, as an artist, kind of said to somebody, do you know what? I'm not doing that. Like, oh, oh go yeah. away, go away and think about it because, you know what? I don't really want to tattoo something on on your bum cheek or this because it's just you're going to regret it. I know you're going to regret it. So go away and think. Does all that the, have a problem? All the yeah, time. all the time. Yeah, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time, and so I I can be choosy. You know, just the other week, this kid came in. He was 19, and he wanted um, his girlfriend's lips on the side of his neck, and he did not have one tattoo. And I said, No, I'm not doing that. You know, if you were heavily tattooed, you had sleeves, I would tattoo your neck. But if you don't have one tattoo, I'm not going to tattoo your neck. Do you know how hard it's going to be to get a job with that thing on your neck? 
you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. things that kids don't think about or tattooing your hands, you can't cover that up. So, yeah. you know, and I certainly won't do anything, you know, like a swastika or a rebel flag or anything bad. Like, I yeah. no, not at all. Not that I get a lot of requests for it, but I just won't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I turn people away a lot. I, I think that as an artist, you know, again, you know, like when you're first starting out, you're hungry, you're trying to get your bills paid, you want to work and you're really willing to do anything. But I think that as a tattooist, I'm putting art on someone's body forever. And I have to have ethical boundaries, right? I have to be able to tell somebody, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to look good. You know, think about long term. I, I just feel like I have a responsibility to my clients to be upfront and honest with them and not do something that I don't think is going to serve them well long term. Yeah, yeah, right. So I, I think to kind of maybe round things up, October has been Breast Cancer Awareness Month here. I think for what you stand for and everything you've been through, and I think the fact that people probably know it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but maybe haven't done much about it. As somebody, I think, who has a platform on this subject, somebody who's really inspirational on this subject, if you could say something to our listeners, male or female, what would your advice or what would your purpose be to say to them on on this relevant month? So a couple of things. Nobody ever wants to experience a breast cancer diagnosis. It's a very frightening thing to hear. But if you're diagnosed stage zero to stage three, your chances of curative surgeries or treatment are pretty decent there's a 70% chance that you're going to be okay and you're going to live to be an old lady or an old man and die of something else. However, there's a 30% chance that things aren't going to go your way and you're going to be metastatic like me. And if that happens, the most important thing is to fund research. You know, we hear a lot about funding research or supporting patients with breast cancer during October, but what we don't talk about are the statistics and the people who are dying from this disease. The marketing is able to wrap it up with a pink pretty bow. And that's just not what cancer is. No one ever dies from a lump in their breast. It's not until that cancer travels outside of the breast and becomes metastatic. Is it deadly? And those are the people that we need to be focused on. People like me, people who are going to die from this disease. And I truly believe that through funding top-down research, Research that is focused on the sickest of the sick with this disease, much like they did with HIV and AIDS. They were able to push Congress to change the way we bring drugs to market, compassion and allowance, things like that. And and we were essentially able to render HIV and AIDS a chronic condition versus one that's terminal. And I would love to see that with breast cancer. The median survival for someone like me is 18 to 36 months. That's not nearly enough time. But if we're able to develop treatments and get those treatments to market, that will actually give people living with this disease a good quality of life and some longevity with the disease, then I think we will be able to save lives. And and it's not until we have a focus on that very specific type of research are we going to move the needle and actually save lives from people dying of breast cancer. Wow. Do me a favor as well while we're on here. Will you just shout out your um, social media platforms? Because I follow you on Instagram and I find it's really powerful. I really, I, I think it's fantastic. And I think you show images that maybe two weeks ago, if I'd have seen these images, I'd have been, whoa, I don't know if 
I'm comfortable with seeing that. And now you see it and you realise it's the reality, so get comfortable with it. So I wanted to shout out your, your platforms or any web pages you have, anything where people can go to support what you're doing. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Beth Fairchild or BethFairchild.com. Love it. Brilliant. That's great. Beth, thank you so much. That was such an amazing, amazing, I, I feel really empowered. <laughs> I do. I feel really empowered by you. You just kind of, and, and, and I wanted this version of Skin Deep to be a kind of about resilience and strength. And I think you've delivered and some. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. So good. You're so strong, man. I love it. I love it. Thank you. So are you. Thank you again for listening. I'm your host, Gareth Thomas, and this has been Skin Deep. If you like the show, then please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe. It means you'll never miss an episode and will help other people find us. And finally, a closing thank you to the partners of today's episode, Keels. Now, for all the bearded men out there, I'd recommend checking out their grooming solution, Nourishing Beard Oil, a lightweight beard oil that smooths facial hair and nourishes skin underneath. Their products are great, but what I love just as much is their philanthropic initiatives, including their partnership with Just Like Us. Just Like Us is a leading LGBTQ plus charity that was founded to support young people in the UK by eliminating homophobic, biphobic, and transphobic bullying in schools. Check out the brand and all the amazing things they are doing by visiting keels.co.uk.